Converting everything to in-app purchases, it's a huge net evil for the world. Okay, so Paul, you say we always agree, but I strongly disagree. All right, let's hear it. They wouldn't be the first and they won't be the last company that just gets killed by, you know, an Amazon PM wanting to clone something to get their promotion. I mean, that's always what people ask us. It's like, can't somebody just clone this? I'm like, yeah, sure, but it won't be as good. Has Amazon cloned your product yet? Shh. <laughs> Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of Dark. I'm Edith Herva, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly. And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development. You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast. The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. Hey, Paul. Hello. It's been a while. How long has it been since we did a thing? Like an entire pandemic has happened since we did our last episode. We released a couple after the pandemic. Okay, okay. Did anyone listen to them? Because certainly for the first few months of the pandemic, there was just like all the protests and the fascism and, and the, the COVID. Was, was anyone listening to tech podcasts? You're sounding a little Pink Floyd now. You know, hello, is there anybody out there? Uh-huh. Is there anybody listening? I don't know if Pink Floyd made it over to uh, where you grew up. Yeah, I, we're, we're not complete savages. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how much popular music you listen to. Wasn't Pink Floyd English? Yeah. Okay. Now I've seen the um, epic trolling Apple. Oh. They put out a video that was like a parody of of one of the original Apple launch videos. Yeah. Well, what do you, what do you think about that one? Yeah, I mean, 30% has always been a fucking ripoff. I disagree. Oh, wow. You're pro-rent-seeking. That's an unusual view. Okay, so I was at TripIt, and we were the number one travel app. Uh Uh-huh. And you pay that cut for distribution. So distribution is a thing that doesn't doesn't have a cost, right? So it could be any number. Um. What you pay for is, well, I was going to say distribution and also ease of purchase. Sure. And, and you think that's worth 30% of you know, the thing that you pay for? I don't know if 30% is the right number, but there is some number. Let, let me give you another example. So I used to work at a hardware company and we, we sold a device. doesn't matter what the device is. Mm. And I was the product manager, so I also tested the flows about purchase on our own website. It's funny, I swear you've told some sort of story about this like plant hardware thing a million times. And so it's funny that you're you're saying like it doesn't matter what the hardware was. <laughs> right, it was the plant hardware. <laughs> uh-huh. What I found in my own testing is uh, you know, it was an eight-person company, so I was product manager and also product marketing. Mm-hmm. Was though Amazon took a bigger cut than if we sold it on our website, we sold a lot more. Mm-hmm. Because people saw Amazon as a trusted vendor. Mm-hmm. And they already had their payment information on Amazon, mm-hmm. so it was much easier for just somebody to say, "I want to buy it on Amazon." Mm-hmm. Rather than them going to our website and like typing in all their credit card and like, you know. Mm-hmm. So we actually, when I ran our, our ads, uh, I would actually push them at Amazon instead of our own website. Was Amazon shipping? Yes, they, and also Amazon shipping was much cheaper than ours because Amazon had bulk deals. Right. So, so Amazon was doing like physical work to sell your products and to ship your products to, to people. And also payment and trusted vendor was a huge thing. Uh-huh. Like, so I, I would do follow up with our uh, customers about like, why did they buy from Amazon? Mm-hmm. They're like, well, because they're trusted. 
Like, I know if something goes wrong, I can ship it back to Amazon as opposed to like you risky looking startup site. So the thing is that you had an alternative with Amazon. You mean selling on our own website? Yeah. You, in fact, dozens of places you could have sold it and retail stores you could have sold oh, it. Oh, we tried them all. Like I actually, I flew to Florida. Right, right. But you had you had all those options. There is no option on on the iPhone. There's there's the App Store or fuck you. Well, there goes our clean reading, Paul. <laughs> have we ever had a clean episode? I, d- I don't think so. All right. Anyway, you were saying that if people are on Apple, they don't have as many outlets to sell. There are no options apart from Apple. Well, there's Android. That is not an alternative. You need both. And in defense of Apple, they do put a lot of work into making sure that they have a good ecosystem that like apps in there are vetted and not going to do something terrible. Hmm. Okay, apps aren't going to do anything terrible. Well done on hitting the you know absolute minimum that is required. But portraying Apple as, as some sort of benevolent overlord here, you know, at the same time they have like absolutely destroyed gaming. Well, gaming is a multi-billion-dollar industry. I don't think they've destroyed it. Oh, they've destroyed the actual experience of gaming. Like the converting everything to in-app purchases across the board is like. It's a huge net evil for the world. Okay, so Paul, you say we always agree, but I strongly disagree. Oh, finally, (laughs) an actual disagreement. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. Why is it bad that everything is an app? Why is it, I mean, isn't this a consequence of just people being on their phones more and more casual gaming? And kind of the democratization of gaming, so it's not just people sitting around their basement with a console? So... I accept that. Uh, and I say that as a proud owner of a very early Atari. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the way they did in the old days, shareware, not, not, not opposed to like the concept of shareware or like the idea of it being free. What I'm opposed to is like turning games into like click mining for dollars and where you, 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 your situations like, you know, there's multiple situations I've read about where like some kid, you know, spends $6,000 of his parents' money on like, I don't know, whatever it is, skins or hats or, or whatever the fuck is, is going on. Well, I, I'm, I'm of course against that. But just to say games are bad because they're on phones. No, like, I'm not saying games are bad because they're on phones. I'm saying games are bad because every game is now oriented around this trying to like get you to buy more gems or coins or credits or whatever it is so that you can actually have the in-game experience. But why is that so bad? It is directly linking. It ruins the games. But like games have to monetize somehow. Yeah. Why? Like, what would the alternative way be? I mean, how games were always done. You you know, it's it's free for the first episode, and then you buy the full game for twenty or fifty or whatever dollars. Yeah, but like games now are so much richer because they have a continual stream. Like I'll say, and this is don't don't judge. I'm not ashamed. I play a lot of Pokemon. Mm Hmm. And I've been playing it for like years now because the game is always changing because they have a stream of money. So, you know, if, if you were to pay a monthly fee for your Pokemon, that seems like totally legit. Or the Spotify model. Yeah. I, I like a lot of like, uh, are you familiar with the terror defense genre? I, I might be, but I'm not sure. Uh, it's like Plants vs. Zombies was, I think, the original one of these. It's like, you know, the, the, there are hordes coming and you, you get to put like things in their way and you have to like level them up and that sort of thing. And they're really fun games, but almost every single one of them is like, they're impossible to get all that far in because 
in order to get you know beyond a certain threshold, you just need to pump money into the game. And it's just like it takes all the fun out of the game. But I mean, people need to monetize, like they're game developers. I, I understand that people need to monetize. What I'm saying is that Apple's specific incentives have caused games monetizations to ruin games. Like one of the reasons that console games are are still pretty good is that you buy, you know, the full game and then you play the full game. I, I'm gonna dissect this argument a little bit. Mm-hmm. Even in console games, you could buy upgrades now. I don't think that's an Apple thing so much as a shift to the cloud and, and being able to unlock stuff over time. I mean, there's also a difference between buying, like, you know, ha- if you have a complete game and then you can buy an extra episode to the game in DLC, that's substantially different than what I'm saying, which is games where you have to just like keep spending money to unlock the main content and where the content is designed to cause you to like keep going through this cycle. I don't think that's anything to do with Apple. I think that's just the nature of, you know, continuous game development. I mean, for AAA titles and console titles, that's not the case at all. You, you pay your $20 and, and then it's fine. Well, then I think like Android, they have the same issues. I think this is more a shift to the cloud and Apple is a convenience. Oh, Android also has, has the same issues for sure. I think it was originally caused by Apple's pricing of apps so low and encouraging apps to be priced so low. Yeah. I mean, well, that's how you get distribution. Yeah. The purpose of, of, of what I was saying there is, is that Apple is not in any way a benevolent overlord of the space. And 30% for what they get is absolutely fucking ludicrous. I think you're conflating two things with the shift to the cloud and more casual games and Apple. I'm, I'm saying there's, there's lots of things going on. And I don't think that like Apple is some sort of, yeah, I'll say it again, benevolent overlord. I think that's good to have some sort of link between player behavior and what they value and money, which leads me to ask you about Mozilla. Oh my, some some shit going down there. <laughs> well, summarize it. 250 people laid off? Wow. How many people worked there? Oh, I don't know. You worked there, but it was a long time ago, right? Yeah, so I worked there about 10 years ago and it was 600 people at the time. But I think they had a layoff before, but I think not as big as this. So in this layoff, that they, they, they've laid off a bunch of like teams that that are sort of like so they, they laid off the MDN team, they laid off the people working on Servo, which was the next generation uh, browser engine. I haven't even like kept track of the whole thing, but like people are describing it as pretty brutal on the internet. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I read, which made me kind of wince, was. The, them saying, "Hey, we have to focus on stuff that makes money." I mean, they do, right? You know, you need you need money to survive. Yeah, I don't know if there was some nativity or lack of belief in gravity that hey, we can employ a lot of people without money coming in. Well, I mean, it's interesting because a couple of years ago, they they, they shifted back towards focusing on Firefox as the core thing, right? Do you think that was a belief in trying to make more money? No, I mean, Mozilla has always had this this utopian ideal of of the internet, and they are the force that like is you know probably the only people out there. I mean, they're, they're a nonprofit, and they probably are one of the only people out there who are trying to you know to make the internet open and free, where everyone else is trying to do you know basically trying to keep people in their walled gardens. And we talked about the App Store. You know, Google is trying to keep everyone on Chrome. Apple won't let anyone even install another browser on on the iPhone. 
you know, Microsoft ships their browser and, and has a terrible history of, of, you know, trying to make uh, proprietary things and, and trying to keep it within Windows. So like the role that Mozilla had was great, but also, you know, it was not, I think what you were saying earlier was not particularly aligned to their, to their revenue streams. Yeah. And then always some reckoning happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't even understand how Mozilla could make products, if you know what I mean. Tell me more. Like companies tend not to invent products from the middle of nowhere, mm. right? New companies create products for things they see in the world. Mm. But like, like companies that don't have the DNA of creating new, new successful products, how do they even do it? Yeah, it was really active in the lean startup group. And um, this sounds weird now in like the 2013, 2014 era. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a big debate after some some speaker said like big companies have all advantages of startups and more money, so they're going to win. It's like, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> like they have all advantages of big companies and the money, and that's why they can't act like a startup. Mm-hmm. Like the incentives are totally misaligned. Mm-hmm. Like at a big company, if you put out like a new product and it totally flops, you're going to get fired. Mm-hmm. If you're at a startup and you put out a product that flops, you hopefully have enough runway or time that you're like, okay, that didn't work, and let me try something else. Mm-hmm. But you you're scratching that itch. Not I only get one shot. It better be the right one. Right. I mean, you can sort of look at, at Google putting out products to see this. You know, they just like keep churning out these like complete products that presumably are are ready to scale to tens of millions of users, but like that no one actually wants to use. Yeah. Their last big hit was really Google Maps. Yeah, which they acquired. Or Gmail. Gmail was before that. that that's the thing they actually built themselves. Yeah. Google Cloud is picking up. Uh, Google Cloud is a very good product. Yeah. Did you use Google Cloud at Dark? Yeah. Except their databases suck. <laughs> it's. I mean, it, it's. It's kind of hilarious. Like we. We. You know, Amazon has Aurora, which is like their cloud version of MySQL and, and Postgres. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like Amazon also has like DynamoDB, and you know, S three is is functionally a database, and you know, they, they have all these like cloud products. And you know, Google has Cloud SQL in order to tick a box because they have Spanner, which is their cloud product. And you know, it's like this massively scalable everything database. But like, if you want to use Postgres. You know, it's really like fuck you. We're, 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 we're sure we'll, we'll we'll manage a box with Postgres on it, uh, and like you, you, you know, but like good luck in like their, their Postgres product is so bad. We we pay them for high availability. I don't think it has ever been like even when they do maintenance, it doesn't even switch over to the high availability. It's ridiculous. Like that, I mean. Yeah, that th- that is just one example of of the many things that are wrong. Well, so Paul, okay. Are you multi-cloud? Are you all on Jesus, Google? No, no, we're, we're all in on Google Cloud. It's like all Kubernetes and, and Google. G- what, what, what informed your decision? I mean, so a couple of things. So, so one is, is that we were going in on, on Kubernetes at the start and AWS didn't have a good Kubernetes solution. Mm-hmm. That was one. The, you, you, yeah. Okay. I'll give Google a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Kubernetes. The, the other thing is that like Amazon is like so opaque. In all the things going on, like at, at the time, you know, and I think it's still true. Go- Google, you know, automatically 
reduces your costs and, and, you know, that sort of thing over time. Whereas Amazon made you really like work it to figure out how to, how to do it cheaply. That was one big thing. And then the other big thing is like, fuck Amazon. Like if ever, is, is this the episode where we're talking about monopolists and their, and their shitty practices? Cause Amazon is fucking king of it. Well, we already talked about that near the middle, and you said then that Amazon was not a monopoly because there are other places to buy products. Oh, I'm talking about AWS. Yeah. But there's Azure in the mix. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know any startup using Azure? Some. The only ones I knew Azure was buying uh, was buying them by giving them like hundreds of thousands of dollars of credits. I do know some startups that use Azure. Uh-huh. So that was your decision tree. Did you look at any of the others, like Oracle Cloud? I don't think Oracle Cloud existed, but obviously never looked at Oracle Cloud. Hmm. Not even once. Not even once. Um, but like Amazon, like I remember being partner. Partner is an extremely generous term for, you know, for person that you're built on who is like trying to undercut you and clone your product to undercut you. Well, that's what happened with Iron. With, with who? Iron IO. What happened? Oh, they were basically Lambda and then oh, yeah. Amazon came out with Lambda. Yeah, literally, if anyone has a claim to be Lambda before there was Lambda, it was IronIO. Yeah, they were workers as a service. Uh-huh. Oh, really? Did, did Amazon clone them? Is that where Lambda came from? Oh, I don't know if it was a direct clone, but I know that was their entire business. Then. Uh-huh. It was, yeah. Yeah, and then Lambda came out, I was like, well... Yeah, what an ignoble end. I mean, like, they wouldn't be the first and they won't be the last company that just gets killed by you know, an Amazon PM wanting to, to clone something to get their promotion. Yeah, but on the other hand, they don't always work. I mean, that's always what people ask us. It's like, can't somebody just clone this? I'm like, yeah, sure, but it won't be as good. Has Amazon cloned your product yet? Shh. <laughs> the eye of Sauron draws near. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the thing that, that I find always interesting is like, I, I think Amazon, I, I think I've probably said this before in multiple podcasts, Amazon is good at like, you know, it'll occasionally invent a thing and it will be like a game changer like S3 or, or Lambda. And when they don't invent things, when they copy it, they just end up with these like shitty box checks. And you know, the, the, there's like of the 160, 170, I don't know, you can't even keep count of them, services in, in AWS. You know, how many of them are, are like amazing high quality products that people love to use versus, you know, piece of shit clones. And I mean, it's almost as bad as the as the app store. Well, that ties it all back together. Yeah, you see what I did there? That was I, I felt really good about that. So the thing that, that that I was thinking about the the Mozilla situation is like I'm remembering when when I was at Mozilla and just like how much of like an advantage Google had. You know, they were putting you should download Chrome in Google search, which is why people hated Microsoft. Right, exactly. That was why Microsoft had their huge antitrust suit was that they were putting it to the OS. Right. And so now there's like this this uh, you know, tech antitrust stuff that's going on about how Apple is like monopolistic and Google is monopolistic and Amazon is monopolistic and they're right. They're all monopolistic. And they they, they all have like their unique little monopolies that they use to like stifle everyone. And I think, like, really, that's that's what Mozilla is the victim of. It's it's like the victim of you know, massively unfair competition by Google, who is also Mozilla's partner and source of revenue. No, I I, I disagree with you once again, Paul. Ooh, I love saying that. Love it. 
Mozilla's competition was they never figured out how to monetize. That is absolutely correct. You know, their their making money from search revenue was I don't necessarily want to say a mistake, but like I remember they had just this like golden goose. And I think honestly they shouldn't have scaled it up. They should have like they should have kept it and just like, keep spending much less. Because when I was there, I remember there was like these fucking lavish, you know, all hands where they flew us all to Whistler to, you know, spend like I think it was something like five million dollars or something oh like that gosh. on just that one that one all hands. And they flew what? like they flew what? like all the employees, but then they flew like, you know, hundreds of contributors as well. And I mean, I'll say, I guess that's great if you're making enough money, you can afford that. I mean, they were making like, they were bringing in about 300 million a year and they're a nonprofit. So like, I'm not even sure they're allowed to keep it, but they, you know, if they had spent 50 million a year on building Firefox, they could have lived forever. Yeah. Or good enough to, to forever. But like, I don't know if you can build a, a browser with 50 people. But, well, okay, here, here. my own personal thing, when, when I was at Mozilla, I was like looking at like, okay, what is Mozilla's competitive advantage? Mozilla's competitive advantage is contributors. You know, if they manage to leverage contributors, they can, they can, but they just never did. And I worked on like contributor engagement and like, you know, tried to make it easy for people to contribute to the, to the thing, which actually is pretty helpful around dark to have that experience. And just like nobody cared, you know, they, they hired every contributor to be a Mozilla employee, except like a handful of them. And it's just like killed, you know, external contributions. Yeah. I mean, we've done a bunch of podcasts around open source and community. Mm -hmm. It's just hard to maintain that. Yeah. I I remember um, my boss at the time. So I was, uh, I was working on the JavaScript compiler and my boss said like, we pay you to be a senior compiler engineer and not to be a contributor engagement. And if you want to do contributor engagement, you can, but like, you know, that has different pay scales. Well, that's worthy of a whole podcast. Let's pick that up another time. It truly is. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Paul. All right. Next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Baker of Dark, and Edith Harbaugh of Launch Darkly. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. Thank you.